everyone. Welcome to Cultural Projection, a cultural geography podcast. My name is Madison Scribner. And I'm Belkisa Vitio. And I'm Yana Chang. In this episode, Black Geographies, an alternative method to analyze Green Book, we're going to be discussing the popular three-time Academy Award-winning film, Green Book. The film is a story about a working-class white man, Tony Vellalonga, hired by a highly educated, stunningly talented Black pianist, Dr. Don Shirley, who developed a lifelong friendship over the course of a road trip from New York City to Birmingham, Alabama. This unlikely friendship, which is based on a true story, develops despite the character's cultural, racial, and socioeconomic differences, which were of particular social significance in the mid-1960s in America, where the film takes place, and where racism and social segregation were, and still are, very much embedded in American culture. However, upon closer inspection through a Black and queer geography's lens, we find that this story is fraught with problematic language, stereotypical racial themes, and in inaccurate historical information concerning the portrayal of the real-life characters, as well as the minimal role of actual green books in the film. In this episode, we will dissect the stereotypes, the inaccuracies, and the problematic themes found in this story by comparing the film with scholarly research and historical documentation, as well as thoughtfully considering the perspectives of people of color on the creation and the cultural implications of the film. At the end of the episode, we hope that through our analysis and discussion of the film, our listeners will understand how a film that should have been rooted in Black knowledge of spaces and geographies failed to do so and why. So let's start by talking about the historical significance and context behind the film, and especially in its relation to its title. And so the film's title, Green Book, is a historical reference to a very significant item in Black history during the Jim Crow era. And so the real Green Book was officially published as the Negro Motorist Green Book by Victor Hugo Green. And it basically just provided a list of public facilities that would accommodate um, Black Americans. And it's it's important to talk about the author because uh, because it provides a lot of context for the reason why these books became so popular, um, but also how these green books uh, were, or how important these green books were in further fostering and developing Black spaces and Black geographies. Um, so, born in 1982 in Manhattan, New York City, Green was a United States postal employee, a travel writer, a publisher, um, and later really thought of as an emerging civil rights figure within Black history of the United States. Um, he married his wife Alma in 1982, and they moved to Harlem, New York, um, which was a city developing into a center of Black culture and Renaissance. Um, the creation of the Green Book can be attributed to the context in which Black Americans lived in. So during the early, early 20th century, the automobile industry took off and many Americans began to own their own cars. And on top of that, um, many Americans begin to work jobs uh, with like a disposable income and you get benefits such as like vacation or paid time off. And so this added leisure time with the ability to travel freely in cars uh, meant that road tripping began to become a popular activity in the United States. Um, but we all know that the fun of traveling on the road wasn't fully extended to Black Americans during the Dreamco era, or just whenever really. Um, many Black Americans, despite owning cars and growing increasingly affluent, uh, were often subject to discrimination and threats of violence and death. Uh, 
And further complicating the issue of travel for Black Americans is that many towns set like a curfew um, for Black Americans. So it banned their presence outdoors after sundown. And so as a result, many Black Americans were forced to bring lodging supplies with them, like food, blankets, water, uh, just in case they came across any of these towns that wouldn't serve them. Um, and Green, while traveling with his wife, experienced a lot of uh, similar or basically the same types of problems. And so through the creation of the Green Book, Green himself became a geographer. And his methodology in doing so started in the 1930s when he began to compile a list of stores, restaurants, um, gas station, hotels, and other public facilities that would serve people of color. So in 1936, the first edition of the Green Book was published and it was only like 15 pages long, um, covered a list of public places in only the metropolitan New York City area that would accommodate for um, African-Americans. And the Green Book was basically compiled based on Green's personal knowledge and experience as a, a United States postal employee and from other postal workers in the area as well. The reception of Green's Traveler Guide was immensely popular and the demand was very high amongst Black Americans. And in 1937, the second edition of the Green Book was published, but its scope was further expanded to cover uh, the national landscape. And so Green did this by consulting with other postal employees nationwide while soliciting user recommendations, feedback, but more importantly, collaborating with um, the United States Travel Bureau collaborator for Negro Affairs, whose name is Charles McDowell. Um, so the second edition also included articles like travel tips, um, such as like safe driving, travel essays, sightseeing guides, um, and the green books were updated and published yearly. And they would remain in popular demand for a while. Actually, the scope of these books would later expand to all 50 states, um, Canada, Latin America, Europe, and Africa. So it subsequently became dubbed like the Black Bible for travel for or by many of its users and the creation of the National Highway System in 1956 and the passage of the 1964 Civil Rights Act would ultimately get rid of the need for the Green Books. Um, so the National Highway System decreased the need for Black Americans to interact with sunset towns and the Civil Rights Act ended segregations in the United States. So while the last edition of the Green Book was published in 1967, um, it signaled an end for really significant cultural and geographical piece for Black Americans, but it really seemed that Green seemed um, to wish that the end of the publication of these books would come to an end one day. Um, in one of the introductions, in one edition of the Green Book, he writes, there will be a day sometime in the near future when this guide will not have to be published. That is when we as a race will have equal rights and privileges in the United States. And so the Green Books became an item to Black Americans that were critically important in ensuring their safety and well-being while traveling on the road. And more importantly, they provided a space um, for further developing Black um, spaces and geographies in the United States in an era that was still socially, politically, and institutionally really discrimin discriminatory towards Black Americans. And 
the discipline of black geographies implores us to conceive spatiality, spatiality not through the lens of white colonialism, but through the understanding of those who are oppressed, and in this case, is the voices of many black Americans, and um, what and how their spatial processes emerge and evolve. Um, and so how exactly does this lens apply to green books? Well, Green, you know, he used his own knowledge formed through his own experiences as an African-American United States postal employee to create a listing of spaces in which Black culture, Black people, and knowledge could congregate. And so in a sense, these green books were a counter map to the traditional knowledge and geography of the United States at the time. And green books and its massive popularity and demand among Black Americans were the response to this dominant white oppressive narr narrative disseminated through traditional knowledge and conceptions of space and geography in the US. Um, so green books were the representation of black geographies during the Jim Crow era, and it presented an alternative to traditional geography at the time. And yet the green book is hardly seen or touched upon throughout the film. It's explicitly mentioned only in like one scene where we see the green book given to Tony by Dr. Shirley's record label employee um, towards the beginning of their road trip. And the record label employee simply just describes the green book by saying, now this is the book I was telling you about. Sometimes you guys are gonna stay in the same hotel, sometimes you're not. Like that's the end. And the explanation given in the film, despite being like the title of the film, it's completely devoid of its importance and the meaning behind the history and black geographies. And instead, you know, the characters in the book drive through a sunset town despite having the book on them and they end up getting arrested. And it's just scenes just like this shows how white producers and screenwriters for this film like fail to take into the account the importance of, you know, themes of space and black geographies. And I think also another problematic implication of the film is how the Green Book was being given to Tony Lip in the context of a road trip throughout the southern parts of the United States. And it's like, okay, while while the South was known to uh, to form the Confederacy back in the day, like the implication of segregation and racism only existing in the South is inaccurate. Like black Americans in the North were just vulnerable, just as vulnerable to acts of racism through social, political, institutional means as black Americans living in the South. So, you know, such implication is problematic because it paints an ina inaccurate picture or conception of what racial and, and social geography was during the Jim Crow era. One where the American North is thought to be of like a sanctuary for African Americans and like the South is a dangerous place to be. And so all these mentions of green books or lack thereof really demonstrate how a film that should have really been deeply rooted in the knowledge of black spaces and geographies fails to acknowledge the importance of green books um, when it's written and produced from the lens of white producers. So therefore the film Green Book is another visual media that perpetuate forms of white supremacy rooted in traditional knowledge of geography. And the lack of acknowledgement um, of the importance of green books is, you know, really not the only way um, that the film failed to acknowledge its uh, historical and cultural importance. I think of language and culture as a positive feedback loop in which language shapes culture and in turn culture shapes language. Green Book offers a portrayal of race, sexual orientation to a lesser extent, and discrimination in the United States during the middle of the 20th century. 
These themes are woven into a story about two men who travel by car from the northeastern U.S., where racism is more covert, to the southern U.S., where racism and segregation are more openly expressed. One, an example of the more covert style of racism can be found in one of the early scenes, scenes of the film where Tony, the white character, wakes up in his home to find his Italian-American family members in the living room and two African-American repairmen in the kitchen. Tony's family members speak disparagingly about the two repairmen in Italian in order to conceal their racism from the repairmen. Tony's wife, offers the two repairmen glasses of lemonade, which they drink and leave on the counter before exiting the home. Tony, with a look of disgust, throws the juice glasses that the two men had used into the garbage after they leave, which is yet another passive-aggressive concealment of racism. In contrast, when Tony and Dr. Shirley are in the South on Dr. Shirley's music tour, Shirley is repeatedly excluded from spaces through the use of overt language and actions. An example of this occurs when Dr. Shirley attempts to try on a suit when he's on tour, but when the shopkeeper realizes that Dr. Shirley, not Tony, is interested in the suit, he is told by the shopkeeper that he is not permitted to try on the suit before purchasing it. Another example of this is when the two men are driving uh, to a tour location one evening when they're in the South and they're pulled over by a police officer who informs them that Dr. Shirley is not allowed to be outside after dark. The police officer uses the N-word, in reference to Dr. Tony, uh, to Tony when he asks him why he's driving a black man uh, instead of the other way around, which is indicative of the cultural expectation at that time in the South. In my view, there are examples, these are examples of how cultural norms related to discrimination are normalized through the ubiquity of derogatory language and racial slurs. Simultaneously, use of derogatory language is socially accepted because cultural norms associated with discrimination exist. These examples show the differing degrees of social acceptance associated with the language and actions used to intentionally exclude people of color from spaces that are considered to belong to white people, such as shops, restaurants, restrooms, and even the outdoors. A person might use a racial slur because the cultural norm is to think of a, per a particular demographic of people, such as people of color, as inferior. At the same time, the perception that a demographic is inferior is culturally reinforced and perpetuated through the use of a racial slur. When Tony's family members refer to the black repairmen using racial slurs in Italian, in that moment, they were reinforcing their beliefs that those men were inferior to them. Additionally, the use of that language was socially acceptable because it was commonly used, thus reinforcing their discriminatory beliefs. As language differs geographically, so do norms associated with discrimination. We see this as the two men travel south, where racism is enacted differently, and the two men are surprised when they're informed by the police officer that Dr. Shirley cannot be out outdoors after dark in that area. The concept of racism in the context of differing norms according to the geographic location can be deceptive due to the cultural norms concerning whether or not discrimination can be discussed and enacted overtly, or attempts are made to conceal it. The latter is arguably more insidious because it is more difficult to identify and address, even by those who are perpetrating the discrimination. This cultural phenomenon is related to black geographies because it illustrates the sprawling impact of systemic racism and white privilege. Scholars indicate that black thought and black cultural orientation are often associated with power, place, and space. 
We see this many times throughout the film when access to a space or a place is restricted due to racial power dynamics. Dr. Shirley faces increasing restrictions while Tony does not. A striking example of this double standard occurs near the end of the film in Birmingham when Dr. Shirley is barred from joining Tony and the other white musicians in the dining room before his performance. The two men are told that Dr. Shirley may have dinner at a black establishment down the street, but not at the venue where he is scheduled to perform. When the two men arrive at the restaurant down the street, Tony is not restricted from entering the restaurant, nor is he denied service once he is inside. This exemplifies the spatial restrictions that were disproportionately placed on the black character and not on the white character due to racial power disparities. Many scholars refer to race as humankind's most dangerous myth because it's often defined one way and used another. In the US and many other Western countries, most people, regardless of education or socioeconomic status, are influenced by collective conditioning, which has fostered the belief that there are definitive and natural divisions between the various human races based on physical appearance. This is shown in the film when Dr. Shirley is treated as if he is lesser than Tony Lip, purely because of the color of his skin. Consequently, a body of language has been developed to describe these visible outward differences. Yet the beliefs regarding the extent of these differences are expanded to include generalizations, assumptions, and stereotypes related to cognitive ability, aptitude in a wide variety of physical and academic arenas, as well as arbitrary and intangible superstitions concerning pain tolerance and emotional capacity. Each time an arbitrary belief related to race, gender, or sec sexual orientation is constructed, it is employed in society largely through the use of new words and phrases designed to bring the belief to life. In the film, this course through the use of racial slurs and casual or derogatory language and stereotypes. Dr. Shirley is not allowed to be outdoors at night in the South because of stereotypes concerning black folks being dangerous or disruptive to white folks. The employment of stereotypes has occurred countless times throughout history. For example, the term hysteria was used for millennia, often by physicians, to dismiss and dominate females. The term Oriental and Negro, terms that harken back to imperialism, were frequently used in, the U in US official documents until President Obama signed a bill that eliminated the use of those terms in federal laws in 2016. In each case, a word chosen by white men in positions of power is used to identify and separate a group of people from what is deemed the norm, which is white, male, and heterosexual. It's important to note that those who choose a language are also those who are in positions of power. The norm, and therefore all qualities and individuals who deviate from the norm, are also identified by those who are in positions of power. Historically, largely through imperialism and colonialism, those who are in positions of power are white heterosexual males. To say that this, this dynamic has been deeply damaging and perpetually problematic to the majority of the global population is an enormous understatement. Intersectionality refers to overlapping social categorizations such as race, class, gender, and sexual orientation. We see the compounding harmful impacts of intersectionality in the film when Dr. Shirley's discovered having sexual relations with another man in a bathhouse in the South by two police officers. When he is both because he is both black and LGBTQ, he is at a higher risk of being harmed and arrested than if he was only black or only LGBTQ due to the compounding impact of discrimination.
Why does it matter who, change it, who chooses the language and who constructs the narratives for everyone else? It matters because when one demographic of people writes history, constructs laws, controls education, the media, and advertising, all of the voices are silenced and controlled. This systemic discrimination is born in power dynamics, and it is indicative of those of who is in control of society. Uh, what is even more harmful is the ubiquity of the language and therefore discrimination, which is internalized and then used by those who have been rendered powerless. This is why a change in language tends to mark social and civil, civil rights movements. When a subjugated group claims and makes changes to the language that is used to describe themselves, they begin to also reclaim their narrative and their power. Dr. Shirley is very careful about the language he uses to describe himself and others because he realizes that sometimes the only way to regain power is to control the words that one uses. He never uses racial slurs, he has a broad vocabulary, and he maintains strict control over his words, even when he is in emotionally charged situations. Alternatively, there are scholars who argue that the act of making distinctions between races and demographics is problematic because it is, it, is, it is a process in which these distinctions are used to culturally reject of the abundant scientific data that has been shown that humans cannot be divided into biologically distinct groups because our genetic variations are so incredibly minimal. Furthermore, scholars also argue that race and therefore racism are vestigial social constructs left over from imperialism and are therefore harmful and useless. Yet another perspective suggests that clinging to the idea of colorblindness is associated with a failure to acknowledge the distinct cultures, experiences, historical contexts, and journeys of people of color, women, and LGBTQ folks. Many scholars indicate that this lack of acknowledgement actually contributes to the perpetuation of white male heteronormative power dynamics. In the case of the film, Green Book, the fact that the film was written, directed, and produced by white men is a prime example of how this pervasive power dynamic plays out in popular culture and contributes significantly to the process of collective conditioning through the normalization of this dynamic. Despite the fact that Dr. Shirley was a brilliant virtuosic pianist who created his own genre of music, held three PhDs, was multilingual, and lived in a lavish apartment with an actual throne room, the film is centered on a white Italian-American racist, Tony Lip, who frequently uses racial slurs such as eggplant to refer to the African-American characters in the film. This emphasis on the racial slurs used by Lip, as well as his racist behavior, shifted the power and interest away from Dr. Shirley, who Lip informally and mockingly referred to as Doc. Lip was not the only character to diminish Dr. Shirley's academic accomplishments by addressing him informally. The musicians who played with him in the Don Shirley trio were the only white characters who respectfully referred to him as Dr. Shirley. He was repeatedly called by just his first name or even by familiar and demeaning variations of his first name, such as Donnie or uh, by other white characters in the film. Even when he was addressed formally, the white characters addressed him as Mr. Shirley rather than Dr. Shirley. Because this story was told by white men instead of people of color, and more importantly, those who are related to or affiliated with Dr. Shirley, it's impossible to know if the disrespectful ways in which Dr. Shirley was addressed in the film was an accurate portrayal of his interactions, 
or a bias embedded in the film by its white creators. Regardless, this is an example of how the language used to refer to or address someone is indicative of the degree of respect one holds for an individual. The manager of the establishment where Dr. Shirley was scheduled to play in Birmingham even referred to Dr. Shirley as your boy when attempting to convince Lip to force Shirley to play the show despite the fact that he was barred from having dinner in the dining room prior to the performance. The use of informal language and the almost complete omission of Dr. Shirley's title in the film is indicative of the refusal to acknowledge his academic accomplishments and therefore his intelligence or his hard work. Language in many ways is intertwined with our identity. When Dr. Shirley suggests that Lip attempt to improve his diction and refrain from using pro profanity while in the musical venues and performances, Lip stubbornly insists that he would rather wait outside than change the way he talks. The language we use communicates a lot about who we are, where we come from, what our values are, and what biases are embedded in our subconscious. Being mindful of the language we use, the language we encounter, and how words influence our perception of ourselves and others is a critical component of the process of dismantling the persistent and antiquated power dynamics that inhibit our potential for genuine societal growth and positive cultural evolution. There are many films that are made to tell stories about lived experiences, but some films lack the necessary representation of the different perspectives of these stories. This tends to happen when voices of people of color are overshadowed by white voices telling their stories. Many, many films have been reviewed and critiqued on how they portray a story about people of color. Due to this film being told by Tony's son, a white man, it picked up a lot of controversy and critique from many perspectives, which brings up issues of representation, family involvement, the white savior complex, and inaccurate storytelling. In the film Green Book, an issue that comes up is the stories told from the perspective of a white man. This was criticized because the process of creating this film and the story itself had no input from Dr. Shirley's family. In an article, one of Dr. Shirley's family members describes their thoughts on the creation of the film as a depiction of a white man's version of a black man's life. My uncle was an incredibly proud man and an incredibly accomplished man, as are the majority of people in my family. And to depict him as less than, and to depict him and take away from him and make the story about a hero of a white man for this incredibly accomplished black man is insulting at best. This clearly shows that there are family members that disagreed with this film because it did not accurately portray Dr. Shirley's life. This is one of the reasons why there's an issue with white people making films about black people. It, take, it takes away from people, black people's experiences and voices. The critique that films about black lives, if not told by black voices, should at least give an accurate representation of what occurred. This can include having a perspective from someone that is close in relation with the main character or have enough research that will allow for the story being told to be authentic. Films about Black lives provide an insight on what happens in the life of a Black person, which, is usually, which usually isn't focused on in society. It carries an importance when voices that are usually overlooked or brushed aside are given the opportunity to share and express themselves. That is where the issue comes from. A white person can never fully express the thoughts and feelings of a black person or any person of color experience. That is why this movie is seen to take away from the real story of Dr. Shirley.
So when confronted with questions regarding the criticism of, of his film, the director, Ferrelli, really chose to blame the agency uh, he had apparently used in his attempts to contact members of the Shirley family. Um, but beyond that, he really refused to take any responsibility. Um, and in response to the, the criticisms about certain events in the film, such as, you know, the controversial themes as the white savior ideal, Ferrelli had the following to say in response to his critics. So he said, these guys help each other. Tony Lip gets Don Shirley out of some earthly problems, but Don Shirley saves Tony Lip's soul. The worst accusation I got was that I was a white guy taking advantage of a black man and making money off of it, Ferrelli said. I didn't do this for money. I don't care if I make a dime. I'm doing it to make a difference. I believe in this movie. I think it can change people's hearts and minds incrementally. I'm, I'm not saying it's going to change the world, but it can make a change in the right direction at a time when we need it. And that's the God honest truth why I did it. That's why it pains me to get criticized. And so quite frankly, the statement makes it seem as if Ferrelli is refusing to acknowledge, you know, the pain and the controversy behind the film and why people are, are just so upset with it. And, you know, it also goes to show that Ferrelli, Curie, Vallelonga, they all lack the knowledge and experience um, to comprehend the complex spatial and geographic nature that should have been portrayed in this film. And that lack of experience really translated into how the film portrayed, you know, its story. Um, as directors, screenwriters, producers, you know, the, the manner in which your characters, your settings, storyline, or the stereotypes, how they evolve, it should be evident throughout the progression of the movie. And I think the evolution of characters and storylines is what is like a hallmark of a good movie for me. Uh, Tony Lip and Dr. Shirley's evolution as characters will be a, a little problematic is very evident and um, it's really the main focus of the movie. And I think that's what Frelli was trying to say in defense of the film um, by stating what he said above, you know, and it's also I think it's also worth mentioning that the uh, actors who play Tony Lip and Don Shirley, so Vigo, Vigo Mortison and Ma Hershala Ali, um, they also do their very best to deal with the limitations of the script and um, the screenplay. But I just think that Ferrelli, Kiri, Vallelonga, they just all fail to realize that, you know, they made a movie in which its main message is, you know, don't stereotype people based on race. But it's like, your, the settings and the way that you guys chose to stereotype, you know, other characters in the movie, um, it, they all fail to evolve and it just ends up perpetuating more harmful racial and uh, queer stereotypes. And so I'm just going to name a few examples. They pretty much uh, stereotype the entire southern portion of the United States as bigots and very cruel people or the scene towards the end of the movie where they're coming out of the bar and there's just um, there's African-American people trying to steal from their car. Um, it's like it's a movie that takes one step forward when you think about the friendship between Tony Lip and uh, Dr. Shirley but it also takes two steps back when you consider you know they didn't or the way that they chose to portray certain characters or the choice of what they chose to include in the movie. Um, and to me, until he refuses to apologize for the way Black Americans are depicted um, and really botching the significance of the Green Book's um, 
to Black History in the United States. This film is really just going to continue to be an attempt at a feel-good film about a friendship between a Black man and a white man during the Dreamco era, except some of these events are really condescending and super discriminatory and of course the Shirley family and many black Americans you know they're not going to be able to profit from the fruits of their story and their their experiences and Belkis is going to go into that a little bit more. Yeah so it is important for there to be stories and experiences being told from the perspective of black people or people of color because they are the ones that tend to be left out of many conversations and opportunities. The reasoning behind this is because white people are not able to speak for their experiences. But throughout history, it's been shown to take it as an opportunity to profit off of their voices and not give accurate depictions of their life. When looking at things from a white person's perspective, it will become centered around them. This is what happened with the film Green Book. Tony's son created this movie that turned out to be a white savior movie, but it really should have been about the life and journey of Dr. Shirley. The movie leaves out a lot of information about Dr. Shirley and waters down many of his life moments. Even the title of the book, as mentioned before, doesn't correlate with what the movie is about. Obi, a writer, pointed out that when Green Books appears in the film, it is a prop mostly handled by Vellalonga. Black people don't even touch the Green Book, let alone talk about its vital importance to their lives. This is another critique that shows an important example of how a film that can take away from the experience of Black people because it clearly shows how much of the white savior complex is included. A book that was created for Black people to feel safer and be used to travel was never even given to a Black person in the movie. Black experiences are disregarded and not shown the needed attention that they deserve. The critique just serves as a way to show how the film doesn't accurately portray the intended vision of the film because of the misleading content being shown. This can easily go over a viewer's head if they do not know the history the film is coming from. This is an issue because films like these are supposed to provide a look into someone's lives so that they can understand things that went on. But this needs to be an accurate depiction of it, especially when being based on a true story. The film also brings an important aspect of how the life of a Black person is because it shows how Black experiences and Black spaces are not ever their own. It has to be whitewashed or colonized to become important or noticed. This film is, is an example of Black lives being profited off of and not given any recognition or compensation for it. The idea of capitalizing from Black experiences has become a common thing and creates many issues of racism and discrimination. This is shown by Dr. Shirley's own family member who says, this movie, The Green Book, is not about my brother, but about money, white privilege, and assumption, and Tony Lip. In the movie, it discusses the relationship that Dr. Shirley has with his family, and it seems to be that even with the family's disapproval, the film still includes misleading information about his family, which also shows there is no input from them. It's important to have recognition and give back to these stories that are being told and used to bring to light to someone's life. An important note is that scholars of Black geographies insist that racism and capitalism are fundamentally entwined and that this relationship is both structured by and structuring of space. This is important because racism and capitalism are embedded with one another, especially within this movie, because of how racism was so clearly depicted in the film, even though much of it was not shown in the way that correctly represented how most experiences occur. The film used that to create an image of how they wanted the film to make people feel, but it really just added to the inaccuracy of Dr. Shirley's life. The portrayal of Black people in these types of films are often made inaccurate and take away from the meaning of their life. 
and this tends to be very prevalent when created by white people. This also brings up the common issue of Hollywood creating movies that lessen the value or importance of many historical issues and events. A critique about the movie was, the movie clearly exhibits Hollywood's unfortunate tendency to elade reality when making movies about historical racism. It takes the name of an important artifact of history, one whose very existence was a result of prejudice and entrenched with white supremacy, and makes it the basis for a broad comedy. This shows how the film industry can capitalize on stories about historical racism and experiences, while also downplaying the seriousness of the events. This just shows that when the wrong people take hold of a story, then the meeting, meaning and experience can be changed to cater to certain audiences while completely forgetting the importance of a person's life. Another issue with Hollywood is the way it portrays films around black and people of color's experience. The way that these stories are told lack the necessary authenticity that shows real life events and issues that occur. Hollywood often relies on narratives that romanticize racism, recuperate stereotypes, and promote the ideology of a post-racial society. This relates to this film because it uses stereotypes and racism to tell the story of Dr. Shirley, but in an accurate way. The narrative seems to be trying to prove an idea that despite racism being a, bad, a very bad thing, this film can bring a feel-good feeling that people will enjoy disregarding all the hurt that came from those different stereotypes and discrimination. Many of the moments that happen do not help to tell the story, but rather to emphasize this idea of a black man's mistreatment and how he gets saved by the white man, in a way romanticizing how racism and discrimination can be, as if it can be prevented so easily with just the, having the presence of a white man. This brings in another critique of the film, which is that it center, centers around Tony, the white man's character rather than having the focus on Dr. Shirley, whose life the movie is supposed to be about. In the film, it seems to focus on how Tony's character undergoes a change, but Dr. Shirley doesn't. Good white characters are ostensibly changed by their proximity to a real life black person, while the catalytic black character sees no change in his or her own quality of life. This is important to note because while the film portrays how Dr. Shirley's journey through the Deep South went, which would have impacted him due to all the racism and discrimination that can be faced there at that time period, the film never showed how that affected him. It focused on how Tony's character developed. This goes to show that Black pe people's experiences and quality of life are not taken into account even when it seemed to be the forefront of a film. This film is just one of many examples of films that have been critiqued on how it portrays the lives of Black people and their experiences without the input of Black voices. It gives rise to many issues of representation, family involvement, the white savior complex, and inaccurate storytelling. It shows how the meaning and events of one's life can be seen in different ways based on who is viewing it, which leads to the idea of white people not being able to accurately express the experiences and feelings of Black people. It is important for people to be given a space and voice to speak on their experiences, especially when they have been historically denied from doing so and not giving any form of freedom to speak about their lives.
This film is reflective of the socio-cultural dynamics associated with systemic racism that endures in the United States, such as white privilege, damaging racially charged language, and the omission of Black voices from the act of constructing narratives about their own history and experiences. This story, which could have easily been told about Dr. Shirley without an emphasis on Tony Lip's character, was instead centered on Lip's evolution from being a racist white man to becoming less to becoming a less racist white man. And the film is structured in such a way that the audience is meant to feel good about the growth of this character. And ironically for a film that intends to send a message to its viewers about issues with stereotyping, the, st the film still perpetuates stereotyping by failing to develop the geographies and other characters in the movie. Due to this problematic framing of the story, an opportunity for the audience to learn about a unique and talented Black historical fig figure was forfeited. 